Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this episode, I talk a lot about Snake Oil, a new game show on Fox, my commercial auditions class at the Alliance Theater, followed by another class called VoiceOver Audiobook Narration, and how I finally, finally, finally landed an agent. Plus, my day filming a Popeye's commercial and what happened when I volunteered for The Hot Seat with Amy Jo Berman. I'll get started after the break. Today is Saturday, July 29th, 2023. Happy birthday to my friend Roland, whom I've known since I was 12. He turned 60 today. If you're paying attention, you will realize that I'm recording this in late July, but not publishing it until after something premieres in late September. So that is why this segment is so old. I'm recording it while it's fresh in my mind. Despite not landing the job of being a contestant on the Fox game show called Snake Oil, and hosted by David Spade, I did end up in the audience for four days. I was sure I had mentioned this in a prior episode, but I'm finding no details about it. I got past the first round of interviews and then had a Zoom audition, which I thought went well. I had to come up with a pitch for a fake product and then answer questions for 60 seconds, just like in the real show, but it didn't go anywhere. The show is about entrepreneurs, except that 50% of the people are real entrepreneurs and the rest are fake, and the contestants have to figure out which are real companies. My friend Vanessa made it farther than I did and was picked to be a backup fake entrepreneur, but then they rescinded that offer. And then they asked her to be David Spade's stand-in, which she did for all of one day, and it was a SAG contract, so she became SAG eligible as a result in the middle of the actor strike. Wow, some people have all the luck. We heard horrible things on Facebook about how the background were treated a few days before I did this, but it did not deter me. I brought my own food. Hey, if it amounts to four days of work, why not? And since the casting company, in my case, Casting Networks, was confirming it day by day, if I hated it after day one, I could just decline the other days. It turned out to be just fine. The first day, Saturday, I was there for seven hours, but just five on set. The only real issue was they couldn't let you use the restroom whenever you wanted to, and we had only one real break towards the end when everyone got up to go. I got yelled at for leaving my seat. You were supposed to raise your hand, and I did, but three of them ignored me, so I got up to go talk to them. Then Ruben, the warm-up guy, started doing little contests, such as show me something red, which I won because he loved my Pokemon wallet. Later, he did something I'd call finish the song karaoke, where he played a song and then stopped it, and you had to raise your hand and sing the next few lines for a prize. I saw lots of friends there, the newest being Alex from my film 3 class and Scott from Cruel Intentions in late February. Alex made it farther than me in the audition process for this show, and then they ghosted her. It's a very clever and ingenious concept that I found more interesting than Family Feud because the audience really gets to participate in helping the contestants and playing along with them. The plan was to go back for three more days, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, which I did. It's really far, about 33 miles away. Instead of breaking for a meal, they took a penalty on the first day and paid us $15 on top of our daily rate. However, in the last few days, we did get a meal and a one-hour break. The filming was for seven full days. I was there for four of them, so I ended up being in the audience for seven of the ten episodes. Except on the very last day and the very last episode, I was sitting in the back row, and the PA came by and tapped the shoulder of me and the guy next to me and asked, Do either of you want to go home early? I said yes first, and so got to leave at 4.30. About three to four hours 
before everyone else. Yay! Now for more snake oil. They did a lot of audience reaction recording before each show, which apparently they can use for any of the episodes, so I may appear in shows I wasn't even at. And they also had to steal stuff about products from shows they recorded on other days. I met this French woman one day who was sitting next to me. The next day she was in front of me and turned around to say hello. She looked a bit different from three feet away. But then during lunch, I saw what looked like her, except her hair was up and she was wearing different clothes, and I thought I was going crazy. How could there be two women here who look so similar? So I kept checking to see if I could see both of them in the room at the same time, but I never did. And then the next day I asked her about it and she said that yes, she had changed her clothes and hair at lunchtime because Bill Marinella, who had cast her, had instructed his people to appear to be a different person for the second show we filmed each day. Wow. And on the last day, I ran to this guy, Dean, and met his wife, who said they had asked her to dye her hair before coming back the second day. Instead, she wore a wig. That's crazy. What kind of person is going to accept $120 for eight hours of work and color the hair for the job? They must think we're absolute idiots. A good hair coloring easily costs that much, and there's no way you could even schedule it in, it in time unless you use box color at home. So... I have to say this was the most fun I have ever had on a game show. It puts Family Feud to shame. David Spade is hilarious, and the guest advisors are top-notch. The premise is pretty simple. There are eight entrepreneurs on the show in pairs, so four pairs. Within each pair, one is real and one is fake. There are two contestants. The goal is for them to bet money on the real ones. In the first round, each contestant picks one pair of products. They hear a sales pitch, watch an infomercial, and have 60 seconds to ask each of the entrepreneurs questions before they have to decide which is real. The infomercials are not real. They're created by the Spade Brigade, almost a Saturday Night Live type group who makes these hilarious videos of the products, which basically make them all look ridiculous, even if they are real. And that makes you laugh, but also complicates your analysis because they're all painted in a frivolous light. Each contestant gets $50,000 to start in the bank and can bet, I think, from 1,000 to 10,000 in the first round. If they get it right, they win the amount they bet. Otherwise, it's subtracted from their bank. This takes up two of the pairs of entrepreneurs. In the second round, there are two pairs left, but it's harder because the contestants get less information. The sales pitch and infomercial are still there, but they can talk to only one of the two entrepreneurs. So they have to strategically decide whether it makes sense to talk to the one they think is real to validate that, or talk to the one they think is fake to confirm the hunch that they're not real. It's really fun to watch. I learned quickly that they should rapid fire the questions and try to trip up the entrepreneur because the fake ones will invariably not know everything they're supposed to know about their business. However, I also learned that some of the real entrepreneurs don't even know their financials, which they should. I also came to the conclusion that the real entrepreneurs tended to be less polished and have subpar presentation skills, whereas the fake ones were better because they're paid actors. And regardless of what they looked like, it didn't matter. There is no stereotypical image of an entrepreneur. They come in all shapes and sizes. So in the end, aside from whether the product itself sounded too crazy or not, and let me tell you, in most cases, the crazy ones were real, you had all these other things to evaluate before deciding. In round two, the betting was much higher. I think 
from 10,000 all the way up to 50,000, but not to exceed whatever you had in your bank. Whomever had the most money after round two went on to round three while the other person went home with nothing. Round three was the most interesting. They call it the snake pit, and we all had to make hissing noises and snakes with our hands whenever we heard them say it. In this round, instead of guessing the real product, they had to sniff out the fake one, the snake oil. But it gets even more complicated because they get to choose how many products to guess from, and the reward is directly proportional to the risk. With two products, there's a 50-50 chance, but you win only $10,000. With three products, you win $25,000. With four, you win $50,000. And with five, you have only a 20% chance of guessing right, but you win $100,000. In this round, there is no sales pitch, no infomercial, and no questions asked because there are no entrepreneurs. It's just the products themselves and you don't get to touch them or even get very close to them. I did see some huge wins here to my surprise. It's really a nail-biting situation because when they reveal whether the snake, whether the product is real or not, they have this spinning coin up on the screen with real on one side and snake oil on the other, like a quarter spinning on a table. And it feels like it takes forever for it to stop on one side. And then you know the answer. Normally you're screaming real, except during the snake pit, when they switch things up and you're praying to see snake oil for whatever they picked. After a few days of this, we thought there was a pattern to how they were revealing these five products so that they would not hit the snake oil until the very end, but that went out the window because one day he let the contestant decide the order and they never got through all of the products before finding the snake oil. It's a hoot. Give it a watch on Fox premiering September 27th, 2023. And happy birthday to David Spade, who turned 59 on July 22nd, my first day on the show. I pulled the warm-up guy Ruben aside and asked if we were going to sing happy birthday, and he said he didn't know it was his birthday and would do some research. He was afraid it wouldn't go over well if David was not a fan of birthdays. We never sang it, and David was very quiet and glum that day, so maybe that's why. He was a million times more upbeat the next three days that I was there. And now for my snake impression. This is a late ad because I just texted with my new friend Amy and discovered that minutes after I was wrapped on Friday during the taping of the last episode of Snake Oil, they brought out the celebrity advisor, Christy Brinkley. So the guest advisors they have on the show are just fantastic. I mean, across the four days, we're talking about comedians and real housewives and actors and musicians, you name it. It felt like on each show, one person was very famous that everyone knew and the other was not so famous. And many of them had a lot of experience running their own businesses and so could provide valuable input to the contestants. One in particular, my jaw dropped when Bethany Frankel walked onto the stage one day. And don't forget Candy Burris, who has multiple businesses of her own here in Atlanta. She's not just a real housewife. Most were there for two shows, but I think some had scheduling conflicts, at which point they would be replaced for the taping of the second show while the other celebrity advisor would remain. Jay Farrow from Saturday Night Live, Darius Rucker, Rob Riggle with a broken foot, Michelle Williams. Such names bring a lot of excitement to the show because you're not just watching a complete stranger struggle with a challenge. You're watching someone famous help them out and struggle with them, hoping to help them win a lot of money. And this did solicit a lot of audience participation and even some 
pointing at us for whatever it was we shouted at them. The moral of the story is probably that having big names leads to more viewers, which translates to advertising dollars. But it also shows that no matter who you are, you can still be swindled by a snake oil salesman. Today is Thursday, August 24th, 2023. I finished commercial audition intensive at the Alliance Theater this week. It was only two sessions, three hours each, with Allison Gardner. The second class was much better. We had homework. It was a little Friskies commercial we had to memorize and deliver in class. The eyebrow issues I had the first week melted away. This time, things went much more smoothly. The only added challenge was holding up a box of cat food next to my face, making sure it was not crooked and exactly right. Since no one sells little Friskies in a box anymore, I brought in a box of milk bones instead. It worked fine. You have no idea how complicated it is to hold a box in your lap out of frame and then raise it into frame at the exact right moment and position it next to your face. And then she wanted us to shake it at the exact right moment. So the only real work I had to do was smile at the correct moments. Someone in the class said I looked like a crazed maniac when I did it too much. Here's the copy. Is your cat like mine? Likes to find some little out of the way place to sit and think. The only thing she loves more is little Friskies by Carnation. All I have to do is shake the box and she comes running. Little Friskies gets them there in a shake. For our second assignment in class, we each had different commercials. Well, the two women had an Advil one. I had one about interactive brokers. Allison knows how methodical and logical and structured I am. Other feedback was to loosen up. At one point, she stuck her hand on my face to scare me, and that elicited a genuine reaction she hadn't seen before. She also did something fascinating with me. She had me recite each line of the Friskies commercial, but wait for her to interject her own made-up line back to me, which made it much more conversational. So then when I did it for real, my muscle memory kept it more conversational. Try this at home. Here's the copy. In addition to hedge funds and registered advisors, Interactive Brokers also serves individual investors. We give you all the tools and technology we built for our institutional clients for free. Take your time to learn to use them and become a better investor. To get better results, get a better platform. The best informed investors choose Interactive Brokers. Anyway, I miraculously was able to memorize the five lines for interactive brokers in just seven minutes, and some of my classmates were amazed that I could do this off book. For this one, it was a matter of slowing down and emphasizing the right words. As we talked more, it became very clear to me that in a commercial, every second matters. And since it's designed to sell product, it has to be perfect. It's not as if some 30-second segment of the Barbie movie is going to make or break the box office. But if a commercial is only 30 seconds long, that's the whole movie, which means everything you say and do is critical. So although I initially thought commercials would be easier because they're just a very short scene, they're almost harder because of everything you have to pull off. And if no scene in a film or TV show has to be as perfect as what you do in a commercial, then you'll realize how much more complicated it really is. I just spent a week on a Cape Cod with high school friends. Amazingly, my 16-year-old friends have morphed into 60-year-old friends. And we have this new tradition we started last year of regrouping where we spent our senior prom weekend. I'm going back up for my annual Labor Day vacation, but when I return, I think I'm taking another class of Alliance. 
This one is called Film Audition Techniques and is actually four sessions. Two focus on film and two focus on commercials. It's four three-hour sessions on Monday nights. Back to the weeknights, which I really don't like, but I've taken three of them now and I know I can do it. I also just got the full movies for Hang Up the Gloves and The School Mistress, so I'm able to cut my scenes out for my reel and begin working on that today. It now has five items in it. That is better than nothing. Although I must now admit that all the experts are correct. You cannot rely on this footage being good enough to use. You really have to film clips yourself. Off to take Sorry, off to film, take note, this weekend as a high school teacher in the background. I'll let you know how that goes. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. The filming of the student film Take Note last Sunday was just okay. I met a very energetic 24-year-old who lived in Paris and is originally from Texas. Otherwise, being a background actor really isn't very interesting at all anymore. I was there at 10 a.m. until 7 p.m. My friend Tim, who got hired to be a teacher, arrived at 5 p.m. That is that. Here's some big, big news. I noticed an actress who was in Hang Up the Gloves, although we did not film on the same days, so I was not on set with her. But she looked familiar, so I looked her up on IMDb, and I noticed she's represented by a company called MI Talent Atlanta. So I went to their website, and unlike most, it did not say, quote, we are not accepting applications, so please don't waste your time submitting, unquote. You may recall I submitted to three agencies in January 2022 and heard back from one of them with a big no. You need more training and more experience. And then I submitted to them again a year later and got another big fat no. So I just stopped trying temporarily. But this time I submitted to MI Talent Atlanta on Friday night, got an email Saturday morning, and spoke to them on Tuesday. I filled out their contract and now I have an agent. So lots to learn about the process of being represented. First, I'm so glad I already have accounts with Actors Access and Casting Networks because otherwise I would be overwhelmed trying to get these set up, but they already exist. The only thing I had to do on Casting Networks was accept their invitation to create a separate profile under them and copy my existing profile into that one. Now I have two there and assume we'll be customizing the MI Talent one to suit their needs. They don't use Backstage, and they do use 800casting.com, but do not require you to set up an account if you don't already have one. They also take a commission from any work you book yourself, so I'll need to figure out how that works, since I think the payments would have to be directed to them instead of me. I asked for feedback on my headshots because it's been almost four years, and the ones I have don't really represent the four to five types I've identified for myself. It feels like a whole new chapter of my entertainment career, and I'm glad I didn't try to get an agent too early in the stages of this, as too much too soon can be a problem. Like many other things in life I've experienced, it usually doesn't pay to bang on doors that will likely never open for you. It's much easier to find an open door and walk through it. In this case, chasing down agencies that don't want you is a lot of work. It's much easier when you just find one that wants you and they welcome you with open arms. Anyway, that is off and running. And I will be learning all about what it means to have an agent. She immediately emphasized all the hard work they do in booking us and the need to respond quickly by phone and that they make no money unless we get booked. All very well understood as I have the same issues selling real estate. I don't want to waste time with clients who never buy or sell a property because I make nothing 
until we get to the closing table. Today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. I did a fast food commercial this week for a local chicken chain. It was my first for a food establishment. I booked it through Casting Networks and it paid about twice the normal rate, a whopping $250 per 12 hours. But it was a long, long, boring day. 10 hours of sitting on a set in a booth in a fake restaurant with two other people repeating the same exact motions over and over again. The real actors were in the booth behind us, so all you will ever see is the back of my head. It wasn't until the last hour that they switched us up. I got to sit at a different table and then I got to walk with a tray of food. I have to say the amount of time and energy spent on preparing the food was insane. There was a whole factory set up on set to prepare the chicken. Then they had to paint it with the right colors to match the various sauces. Then they had to break off pieces to create chicken crumbles. And then there were the drinks with fake ice. It blew my mind how much food they went through and it all got thrown away. The real actors had no lines, so at least there was no risk of flubbing these, but they were given very particular instructions with what to do with their hands, when to lift the food, when to dip it, etc. I will probably shy away from these in the future. When I think of commercials, I think of the single person acting as a spokesperson, which is what we learned in class. But I've now seen in the real world that a simple scene with multiple people and props and food can become very complicated to film. Of course, I stressed like a maniac because I have Diesel this week. I had to bring him to Wagalot, <clears throat> where he used to board, but they required that he redo temperament testing since he hasn't been there in a year. So that was the plan. Dropped him off at 7 a.m. and he'd be ready at 3 p.m. But I knew I wouldn't be picking him up until 7.30 when they closed. The production led us to believe we'd be done at 7, which means I'd get to doggy daycare roughly five minutes after closing. But we ended up working until 8.30 p.m. So I called them at 7.15 to ask if they could keep him overnight. And they said yes, they had room. I'm not sure what they would have done had they been fully booked. The one day charge for daycare turned into an overnight boarding charge, but I have a dozen of these left over from when I had sugar. So it was essentially free in terms of no cash outlay at this time. I look back and think of how complicated things were when I had a dog and was doing 50 plus projects a year and have no idea how I manage this. When your life gets simpler, I always look back and ask why I put up with so many complications and how I did it. It's hard to go back to that. I will get another dog someday, but not while I'm still doing this. Monday night was crazy because the fast food gig came in around 4 p.m. for the very next day. Then I got an audition for some hospital in Chattanooga, which was due Tuesday. So I had to stop what I was doing and complete it immediately. Then I got another Casting Networks request for something labeled straight to callback, which basically means they are skipping the self-tapes and just setting up Zoom calls. These were Tuesday night, which I couldn't make because of the fast food gig, so I asked to reschedule. They moved it an hour later, but that still didn't work, so it was ultimately canceled. Two points about casting networks. In the list of submissions, I am not sure I can see what my agency submits me for. And then in terms of communications, I was getting duplicate messages. One from the casting company, and then the same message forwarded to me from my agent. So apparently, my agent cannot see the full picture of what's being sent to me. Anyway, I initially concluded that my agency had submitted me for both of these, but then I realized they had come from a company called M Casting. 
I had stumbled onto them a few days ago and submitted my profile on their website for gigs. And it was them inside of Casting Networks sending two opportunities my way, which was strange because it means they have so far done more to get me booked than my agency has. We'll see how this goes. I may have mentioned this before, but it dawned on me that I could conceivably be doing all the work booking myself and paying my agency for the next year while they do absolutely nothing and pay me nothing. That's not how it's supposed to work. And I got booked on a film called Love is Illusion, playing the lead character's boss at an architectural firm, Mr. Page. I'm in a few scenes. See ya. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. We had our first table read for Love is Illusion last Friday for a few hours. It felt almost too familiar, similar to the months I spent doing this for The Devil Comes Dressed for Church 2, which I eventually dropped out of earlier this year. Although it was clear that these actors were much better, the reading went smoothly and we will have another before filming in October. However, my lines are so minimal that I don't know if I really want to do this. I'm in scenes plus some type of montage, and I'm the only white person in the cast, which makes me feel a bit tokenized. I started my eighth class at the Alliance Theater on Monday this week. I was scheduled to take film audition techniques for three hours on Monday night for four weeks, but something in me wanted a change of pace. So I switched to a voiceover audiobook narration at the last minute. It meets the same nights, but only for two hours for three weeks. It was really fascinating, not at all what I expected. The teacher, David Debris, handed out 12 audiobook text excerpts that he had worked on and asked us to pick one. Then we had 20 minutes to record it somewhere quiet in the building and then regroup. And then, surprise, he made us play them for the class. Some were really, really good at the level of the Sunday Read, which is something you can listen to on the New York Times podcast, which is called The Daily. I was right in the middle and mine wasn't very good. My voice was very dry and raspy. Anyway, we were told to record them again at home and then also listen to some other people's work. He gave us a list of five people. And then to determine what type of work we think we'd be really good at. This is basically identifying your types, similar to what you do as an actor. And finally, to pick a piece about 500 words long to prepare for our final class in two weeks. I've already decided that I'm doing a piece from The Catcher in the Rye, my favorite book in high school. I was able to find 21 pages of the book free online, downloaded them, and then began searching for the perfect page and a half to focus on. I think I'm doing something in chapter two when he arrives at Mr. Spencer's house and gets berated for his poor history exam. It has just the right mix of dialogue and description in it. That's one of the things I looked for in class that night. Some of the items were 100% narrative and some had way too much dialogue. I have already recorded it twice, listened to it, and have some decisions to make. The biggest of which is how to differentiate between three things. The narrator, Mr. Spencer, and Holden Caulfield himself. You have to make a conscious decision about changing your voice to sound like each of the different characters, and that is a lot of work. In my scene, there's just Holden Caulfield and Mr. Spencer, although at one point Spencer reads aloud from Holden's exam, so I'll have to do something different for that. Anyway, 
one way of determining what you're really good at is exploring and arriving at the conclusion that you're not good at everything. I don't think voiceover is my sweet spot, at least not audiobooks. <coughs> it's really hard to read entire pages and keep the reader interested. Some of the other things you have to think about when doing voiceover for audiobooks are one, rate of utterance, which is how fast or slow you're speaking. Two, clarity and colloquialism, that is, how clearly you're pronouncing the written words versus how much you sound instead like the actual character. And three, gender versus emotions. Is it more important to mimic a woman's voice or instead get that character's emotions correct? Lots to learn. I'm being the usual sponge that I am. Today is Sunday, September 24th, 2023. I just wanted to say a few things about audition overload. Yesterday I spent six hours completing self-tapes for three projects. The first was an easy backstage thing that took all of 15 minutes. The next was for a commercial through Cassie Networks to be filmed in Atlanta. The pay is great, but it involved two scripts for the role and two takes of each, which means producing four videos plus the slate. The third was also for a commercial through Cassie Networks to be filmed in Nashville. Well, that's a four-hour drive, but the pay was even better on this one, so it's something I would definitely do. Not sure how the fitting would work out a few days before shooting. This was for two different roles. Each had one scene, but again, two takes, which meant submitting four videos plus the slate, which equals five. So that's a total of 11 things I had to produce, put together, and send in. Towards the end, I had planned to just finish up, but I was so close. Finish up today, Sunday, but I was so close that I just plowed through it. Again, I will reiterate that on the Casting Networks platform, there is no way for me to see what my agency has submitted me for. The only way I know is if I get a media request from the casting director. Then I look at my list of submissions, and if I don't see the project, it means my agent submitted me for it. I wish there were a better way to track this. I did book another gig playing a lawyer. It should be an easy $500. Rumors are that at least the writer's strike may be ending soon. I have not done any background lately and plan to never go back to that. There are too many well-paying commercial gigs out there to focus on. I have to say, commercials are completely different than films and television. One issue I had yesterday is that one of the scripts had a lot of voiceover, which I recorded and played back during my taping, but it left huge periods when I was just sitting there staring at the camera, listening, and trying to make facial expressions that made sense. Oh well, we will see. The distinction between Actors Access and Casting Networks is so much clearer to me now. AA is for films and television. Casting Networks is for commercials. And as I am learning, I am getting a ton more media requests now that I have an agent. So long story short, you can spend years interviewing and trying to get the perfect agent, but it might be quicker to just sign with anyone. The fact that an agency has agreed to represent you can work wonders. At least that's what I believe based on my experience. It's the only thing that's changed in the last month. And regardless of who is submitting me for projects on casting networks, I'm getting noticeably more requests to audition. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Not literally, of course. I have to go talk to my neighbors now. I saw three squirrels coming out of their attic yesterday and posted a photo and video of it on Facebook. And everyone said that I must absolutely go tell them so they can address the issue. I am even bringing them a pest company that does rodent control who are willing to do a free inspection.
Today is Friday, September 29th, 2023. I just wanted to say a few things before wrapping up this episode. Snake Oil premiered on Wednesday this week, and it was so much fun to watch. I did appear with my friend Amy just after Michelle Williams questions the validity of the toe towel. I was picked to be in the hot seat during Coaching Lab with Amy Jo Borman this week. The topic was guest star roles, so instead of two people per room, there were four of us running lines in the breakout rooms. Then I volunteered myself for one-on-one coaching. My role was titled Peterson and was basically just someone addressing an auditorium of people and the momentary start of a presentation with a warning to protesters to behave appropriately. I think we did it four to five times. The first time I was too close to the camera. She loved the way I panned the room, but wanted to understand why I stopped and focused on one person at the end. Then my internet dropped me, so when I came back, she had moved on to the other volunteer, but then came back to ask if I wanted to try it again. I did. This time, she wanted me to smile at the end, and we did two takes, because the first time, she said, I looked as if someone had told me to smile. It was both energizing and a bit scary. I've been going to these for six months now, and it's really hard to get picked, but today, no one seemed to want to volunteer, so it was easy. I believe these are taped, so I can actually go back and watch it to see how I did from a more objective perspective. I got booked on two more things recently, so October has turned into a $900 month. Besides my one day on Love is Illusion, I'm doing an industrial project next week for a company called CRISP. Industrial means it's footage used internal to a company for whatever reason. I'm playing a lawyer. I had no idea a company such as this existed, but it's basically a coaching and marketing firm for lawyers. Similar to what we have in real estate, the biggest known name there is Tom Ferry. So you basically hired this company to improve your business and profitability. Their website was fascinating. It looked just as cultish as real estate can be. The second project is another UGC, or user-generated content project, for an ED drug. That's erectile dysfunction, if you didn't know. I have to pretend my penis isn't working and that this pill is helping out. They are sending me the product, and then we'll have a Zoom call to discuss what they want before I film it. Quite different from the prepared hero work I did, where they just sent five pages of written instructions and hope for the best. I am almost done with my binging of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Two more episodes of season four and then 10 in season five. I must say that I don't like at all what's happening to June in this season. She's kind of turned into a monster and it feels disingenuous. I mean, I understand how this could happen given what she's been through, but I enjoyed the June in seasons one, two, and three more. Plus, The cheering of Fred and Serena Joy in Canada made absolutely no sense at all. It's almost like having a little Donald Trump mega crowd cheering for someone who is otherwise very unpopular. My final class for voiceover audition, excuse me, audiobook narration is Monday. I have recorded the Catcher in the Rye section 10 times. I am still on the fence as to whether to make Spencer British or not. And coming soon thereafter, I am number one on the waitlist for advanced audition technique. For this class, you actually had to submit a headshot and resume to get accepted by the instructor. If it doesn't pan out, no big deal. I'll find something else to take, maybe somewhere else. After eight classes, I've almost run out of classes to take there and should probably find another studio with more well-known instructors because apparently that makes a big difference. Perhaps Catherine Dyer at Drama Inc. Until next time.
That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.